Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. And uh, we're going to have a good time in God's Word today. And uh, before we do, i got to do some housekeeping. You see, here at the church at Sturkey Hill, has got a lot of stuff going on, and we want you to know about every bit of it. And so we do, we go to painstaking efforts to get the information out, to communicate well, to convey everything that's happening, and inevitably, this is what we hear. You ready? I didn't know anything about it. Now, I need your help. This, this coin has two sides, okay? We're going to do a lot to try to inform you, but we cannot spoon-feed you everything. I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, we had a serve day. We had over 40 people at three different locations uh, serving uh, the kingdom. And it was awesome. And so if you uh, were here yesterday, you're a rock star, way to go. Uh, uh, Jesus smiled on yesterday. But I venture to say, a lot of you, uh, of you didn't even know we were having it. And so it's in part because sometimes maybe we don't communicate well or at the right time. But let me tell you what we do to get the information across. I want everybody to know this, okay? <clears throat> we do slides and a five-minute countdown before the five-minute countdown we do slides 53 feet wide okay so you know what i'm saying and we show a video to remind you to look at your life guide and that is for about 15 percent of you that get here on time now <clears throat> if you don't get here on time uh it's also on the tvs outside all the information okay maybe you're getting coffee maybe you're checking in your babies awesome okay it's on the slides Starting next week, it'll be on the wall above the bridal room, probably a 20-foot slide, okay? And, and then we do a video to tell you that it's coming, and then we put it in the life guide. And then we have it on social media. We have it on our uh, uh, Facebook page. We have it on uh, our website. Now, I can't read it to you. I can't force your face to look upon this life guide. But I'm telling you, it's there, and we want you to know because we want you to be in part, a part of every part of the church, okay? Because God is doing great, great things. And so one of those things is, I don't know if you know, two weeks from today, Super Bowl Sunday for the Christian, Easter. Jesus got up out of that grave. It's a good day, and we're going to celebrate it. And so we just sang a song that said, they're, they're dying to know who you are. I want you to know your neighbors, some of them are lost, separated from God dying you got people that you work with people in your school on your teams people that you serve every day they're lost and they're dying to know jesus here's your opportunity two reasons why you need to pick up some of these cards and personally invite people number one statistical fact the the number one sunday that people will consider the idea of attending a church is easter sunday it's the number one sunday so, so, so it's, the deck is stacked in your favor. Number two, the number one reason people will choose to attend a particular church on Easter Sunday is because of a personal invite from a friend, family member, or acquaintance. So you can double down. It is time for you to invite. You need to be here on Easter Sunday with people. You can pick up these cards. It tells everything about our Good Friday service. We have childcare. It'll tell you everything about our Easter extreme where everything's going to be happening for kids. And you don't even have to like church for your kids to have a good time. It's on here. Easter Sunday, two services, the 8, 30, and 10. It's right here. Childcare for both of them. It's right here. And you can do this. Now, 
Another way that we want you to, uh, to convey the fact that there's people out there dying to know and you know where they can find out about Jesus, we have these yard signs. It's going to be cam- it's campaign sign. You know, you can find out who to vote for, for sheriff, who, can, who the city councilman. You need to be representing your church. All right. Now, I want to tell you something about this. I love my church. You, you don't even have to like it. I love the church for you. Okay. I've had one of these signs in my yard for about four years. And in this recent windstorm, when I suspect we probably had 80 miles an hour in my front yard, it ripped this sign right down the middle. And these just came in hot off the press. If you want to get one and represent your church to to advertise, get one of these. They're out at the Connection Center and put it in your yard. I would encourage you to do that. Be proud of the Lord's church because I think he's proud of this church because uh, the fact that we baptize today is, 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 is uh, 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 one reason we know God has his hand of blessing upon this church. And so we want you to know what's going on. Lastly, I'll, I'll put a plug in. We have a new members class this afternoon it, as, as soon as this service is over, in fact. So 1130 to 12-ish. And maybe you didn't sign up, but you feel like maybe this is the place God would have you to establish some roots and this would be your church. I want to invite you to join us for that. Uh, and we'll feed you lunch and we'll tell you about who we are as a church so you'll know more about it. And so now you know what's happening. If you know what's happening now, say, I got it. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, open your Bibles. We're going to be looking at the book of James again today. We're going to be looking at passages today and next week about a topic that I will call the real pandemic, the real pandemic. This pandemic is, uh, is nation is worldwide. It crosses all boundaries gender boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries, racial, ethnic boundaries, uh, political boundaries. There are no boundaries that this subject matter that James is going to address today and next week. There's no uh, boundaries that this thing doesn't just shove right through the middle of it. It is the sin, the sin of partiality or favoritism. It's rampant. And James is speaking to a church 2,000 years ago where he thought it was an issue then. Aren't you glad we moved beyond favoritism and partiality in the world today? That we can just check that box and go on to the next chapter, amen? No, we stink at this. It's awful. It's everywhere we look. It's always a common issue. Now, this thing emerges early. In elementary school, this is what it looks like or sounds like. You can't play with us. You can't sit with us. You cannot be my friend. You are not invited because dot, dot, dot. But see, it doesn't die out when you get out of elementary school. It graduates to another level. The next level sounds like uh, discriminatory criteria, including academic prowess. Oh, you made that on the ACT? <laughs> I, did, I never said that. <laughs> I never said that in my life. You made that? <laughs> I never, they might have said that about me. But it looks like academic prowess. It looks like race, socioeconomic status, wealth, poverty, appearance, apparel, popularity, and athletic ability. And these measuring sticks separate individuals based on a false sense of superiority or inferiority. Now, it doesn't stop there. It becomes full grown. It it matures. And then it becomes a place where we ascribe value to people based on their home, their occupation, 
their automobile, their toys, their subdivision, their community, their state, their nation, their political party, their religious affiliation, even their church membership. And if it is discrimination and partiality is not rampant enough among people, the government steps in. And the government applies something called affirmative action designed to legislate non-discriminatory employment while at the same time requiring and issuing mandates that reverse discriminatory actions and make you hire people based on partiality and human discrimination. It's upside down. It's confusing. And it's a sin And James saw it 2,000 years ago, and the Holy Spirit, being timeless, saw that this message would be a fit message for 2,000 years later at the church at Sturkey Hills, and that's what we're going to look at today. At every turn, our flesh tendency is is to show favoritism and partiality. We've all experienced it on the receiving end. And certainly, we've all demonstrated it on the giving in. The title of today's message on the back of your life guide is this, Just Ordinary People. Say that with me, Just Ordinary People. We're going to see today in James chapter 1 that, in James chapter 1, that when, when you boil it all down, we're all just ordinary people. I, I want you to look to your right size them up a little bit, and then say, hmm, ordinary. Now I want you to look to your left, size them up a little bit, and say, hmm, ordinary. Now I want you to look up here and say, extraordinary. Now I did not say extraordinary, I said extraordinary, okay? We're all just ordinary people. It doesn't matter what we have or don't have. It doesn't matter what we look like or don't look like. It doesn't matter our, our, how smart we are or how not, how educated or uneducated. None of that matters. Before God, we all stand naked on an even playing field. We are image bearers of God. Now, we may accomplish, we may acquire, we may achieve things in our life, but at the end of the day, our value system is corrupt and bankrupt. We need to get back to a place where we live lives as Christians, realizing we are all just ordinary people. There's no greater thans and less thans. There's no big I's and little U's. We're all just ordinary people. Now, to, to get to the place where James wants us to be, he's, gonna, he's going to write to believers. And so in doing that, he reminds us that at the end of the day, there's two groups of people, two classes of people, two parties of people, whatever you want to call it, in the world, just two. There's people who are going to heaven when they die and people who are going to hell. That's it. There's believers and non-believers. There are, they are redeemed and uh, unredeemed. That's it. And, in, and Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he separates the two. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's your two categories. The unrighteous will not, implying that the righteous in Jesus will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the, that's the distinguishing point. Now he goes on and he explains the fact that everybody who's in group 2, the ones that are going to heaven, all started out in group 1. That's the only difference. We're just ordinary people. Some are redeemed and some are not. Listen to what he says now. He goes on and he says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That ain't popular. Nobody likes that passage. Uh, Paul just identified people that ain't going to heaven. Now, it's talking about people who live actively, uh, live that lifestyle, persistent in that lifestyle, and living uh, against the will of God. And those things are against the will of God. It's not popular. It's not sexy and friendly. It's not, uh, it's not uh, politically correct, but it's true. Now he goes on, and I like this part. Paul says, uh, 11, by the way, such were some of you. He goes on, he says, but, transitional word, but, we, we, he says, you all of us. He says, some were this, but if you weren't this, he got another list. We were all in that camp of hell-bound, unbeliever, unrepentant, lost people. But something happens to separate the two groups of people. Here it is. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so he just defined for us there's two groups of people. There's not rich and poor. There's not black and white. There's not uh, educated and uneducated. There's not Democrats and Republicans. There's not Baptist and Methodist. There's lost and they're saved. And, and when we get that fact, all of a sudden we realize, well, if you look at it that way, I guess we're all just kind of in the same boat. We become ordinary people. And so there's only been one people, one person that's ever walked, placed his feet on this planet who was not ordinary people. And his name would be Jesus Christ. And he can't be ordinary people because he's God. That separates him. And so he's the only exception. And in his separatedness, in his godness, he saw the distinctions between lost and saved, came to this planet from the royalty and the eternalness of heaven to change the destiny of of those who would receive him. And so he's the only one who is not ordinary people. But at the end of the day, we all feel favoritism sometimes. We all feel like we've been treated with partiality sometimes. Look, let's just ask a question. Have you ever felt like you were mistreated or favoritism was shown against you or partiality towards someone else? If you've ever felt that way, just one time, raise your hand. Yeah, all of us, truthful truthfully and you may not remember you're too old to remember when you were a kid and you got left out you you may not remember but we've all experienced it and so James our blue collar scholar is going to drive a stake in the ground regarding how we deal with our resources and how we treat other people and he's going to do it in in James chapter 1 and he's going to address it in James chapter 2 so we're going to be looking at the first part of that today James chapter 1 verse 9 Point number one, the poor are ordinary people. The poor are ordinary people. This is what he says in verse nine. Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position. He begins by addressing not just all poor people, not just all people of humble means. He says, I'm talking to the believers. Listen, this doesn't, what James is gonna say does not work in the world. What James is going to say will not work for 
the unrepentant, for the lost person. This is for people who are blood-bought. This is, this is for people who have received a born-again experience. These people have given their life to Jesus. Jesus has adopted them into God's forever family. And, and, and James says, listen, if you are a believer, this will work for you. He says, in your humble means, the Greek word is topenos. It means this, in your low situation or condition, your humbleness, the fact that you're poor, depressed, and or you have the attitude of modesty and lowliness. You see, it's not just talking about wealth and non-wealth. He's not just talking about bucks and broke. He's talking about how you live your life. If you live your life in poverty and humility and lowliness and how you value yourself. He says, you need to take pride in this. You can have confidence in this because in God's economy, things are upside down than they are in the world. Listen, the world is the antithesis, the opposite of God's kingdom. When Satan came to this earth and was cast to this earth and he showed up in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve, he didn't tempt him with something close to God's truth. He presented a very deceptive, disguised truth. He, he changed it. It's the opposite. Satan is the opposite. It's the, the untruth to everything true about God. And, and so in God's economy... Your humility and your humbleness and your poverty are elevated according to God. Because he goes on, he says, in your humble means, you should take pride in your high position. What does that even mean? It means this. God doesn't look at you like the world looks at you. God doesn't see you like the world sees you. God sees you from an eternal, outside of time perspective. And if you are, as James refers to as a believer, mm -mm, you got some value. Man, you are rich and wealthy. You are, you are over the top in God's eyes. Why? How? Because he's going to tell us in just a minute. Now, in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus was talking to his disciples, just like James, who are believers. This is what he says. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You, you never hear Jesus saying to a, a fat cat rich dude, listen, man, you got the bucks, you are deep, you've got it, and because of that, heaven's waiting for you. Never says that. But Jesus often re refers to the poor, to the impoverished. Now, poor believers are just ordinary people. The difference is they're blessed. They've been set apart by God. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus says this, many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It doesn't say everybody that's first in this world, everybody that the world applauds, or it doesn't say they're all going to hell. It says that many of those who find it real easy and real good and real celebrated in this life, they'll find themselves last in the next. Now don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean there's a there's a, a partiality or favoritism in heaven. It just means in heaven things are upside down from the way things are on this earth. So I want you to know <clears throat> the poor are just ordinary people. That's all. Uh, we're we're working with prison uh, <laughs> prison in focus 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 prison ministry. That's who we're working with. Now that you know. 
with clarity. And one of the most common questions that people get asked when they've come out of the prison teaching a class or working with them, hey, what are those people like? (laughs) They're like everybody else. They're just like you would have been had you got caught from what you've been doing. They're they're just ordinary people, right? You cut them, they bleed red. It is what it is. And poor people, the poor are ordinary people. Now watch this. James is going to help us see the rich people, they're ordinary people too. In verse 10, he goes on, he says, but he's going to change gears. We've been talking about the poor. Now we're going to talk about the rich. James says, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow for the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow and the petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. He goes on, so also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. He says, but the rich person, what's he talking about? He's talking about wealth. He's talking about distinguished. He's talking about abundance. He is talking about that for the rich person. And then he goes on, he says, their pride should be in their humiliation, the same Greek word, their lowliness of a state, their abject condition, the fact that they're depressed. Now, he's going to say, but why? Why should the poor person be proud in their condition? And why should the rich person be humiliated in their condition? Are you ready? He now tells us, in verse 11 at the end of verse 10 into 11 he says because he will pass away he will elapse he will perish he will vanish away like a wildflower in the meadow and then he goes on as I just read for the sun rises and it dries up the metal and the petals fall off the reason that people are ordinary people and the rich are no different is because at the end of the day he dies At the end of the day, it's the same conclusion, okay? There's no amount of money that will buy us out of death itself. There's no amount of money that can buy an insurance policy to fix all of our sicknesses and affirmities and sufferings, ultimately death, because death is a reality because we live in a fallen world. And so James is saying the reason that a rich person can't be too proud in their richness is because at the end of the day, just like a flower, the sun beats down on it, it loses its petals, and it dies. And so the poor are ordinary people. The rich are ordinary people. Now here's what's funny. When we hear a message like this in this very room, some of you already thought, who's who? You already thought about old Gary Greenbacks over there. It's got all the money in the world. You've already thought about old Freddy Fat Pockets, the one that said every time you turn around, he's buying new toy. You've already thought of that. And you've already thought about the rich folk being the other folk. And probably you'd raise your hand and say, hey, pastor, the poor guy you're talking about, that poor guy has a name. It's me. Right? Because what we have a tendency to do is always compare ourselves up the food chain. We always look for somebody who has a little bit more so we can, we can find our, ourselves in despair because of our lack of what they have. And I don't know why we do it, but it's human nature. We always compare to someone who's better off. Let me give you an example. You get sick, mm, woe is you. Boy, it just hurts. It stinks to be you. I've been there. I've been there. 
Do you know no matter how sick you get, there's always somebody sicker? Did you know how, no matter how rich you get, there's always somebody richer? Did you know no matter how poor you get, there's always somebody poorer? It's just a reality. And so what we do in our economy, our measuring scale, which is so bad, is we compare always where we are, and we always find somebody who's doing better than we are. Here's how we know if somebody's rich. Here's how you identified somebody in your mind who's wealthy and rich and well-off. Is it because you inspected their, their uh, portfolio? No. Did you see their W-2? Probably not. Something much, much greater. You checked them out on social media. Now, what you did is you looked on there, man, they're healthier than your family. They're happier than your family. They got more toys than your family. They got a nicer car than your family, going on nicer vacations than your family. And did you see where they just bought a house and they posted on social media? Why? Because they're rich. That's why. That's what we do. That's what we do. Meanwhile, everything is upside down. Meanwhile, the world will always tell you <clears throat> what you want to hear and not the reality of th how things really are. So on the other end of the spectrum, we then look at ourselves and say, I am a little less than the rest of the world. James, now, now, let me be clear. James isn't writing a letter hammering possessions. James doesn't care if you have $10 million in the bank or 10 cents in your pocket. James is not worried about that. And quite frankly, neither is God. What James is writing about is what God is concerned about, and it is this. What is your attitude about what you have or what you have not? And what is your attitude and your impression and your value that you ascribe or place on people based on what they have or based on what they don't have? James is talking about an attitude from the heart. And so we realize there's two very real groups of people, rich and poor. But at the end of the day, when somebody else is doing so good, and it seems like everybody is doing better than we are, we have this attitude, instead of being grateful or thankful, we have an attitude of, woe is me. Anybody ever had a woe is me moment? You don't have to raise your hand. We all have them. A woe is me moment. On the other hand, those who achieve wealth or acquire possessions, uh, they develop a poor attitude because often the wealth that they've acquired or achieved is a product of somebody else's labor or a product of the blessing from an outside source. But what James is saying, when the wealthy begins to take full responsibility and ownership for the blessings of life, they don't get a woe is me attitude. They get a wow is me attitude. Man, look at me and what I've accomplished and what I've achieved and what I've accumulated. They forget that were it not for the grace and the goodness of God giving people the ability to do what they do, then they wouldn't have anything. I'll give this as an example. I watched a show I wouldn't necessarily recommend it called The Last Dance. It's about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I don't care what you think about LeBron, who thinks he's the King James. He ain't as good as Michael Jordan. I'm still that out there. Now, Michael Jordan, I think he was six foot six, six foot seven, jumped like a, like a rabbit, could put his teeth on the rim, like Dr. J, who was really the best. And, um, and so here's the thing. 
He was a great player and he was a, had a great work ethic. He wanted to be the best. But at the end of the day, you can't practice enough to be six foot six and have a 48 inch vertical jump. You, you can't practice that. You can't work that out enough. He had to have something placed inside of him from an outside source to give him the ability to do something that the world celebrates and throws money at. Now, maybe you're here today and you, you don't have a 48-inch vertical jump. In fact, I know you don't because most of y'all are white. Okay? Just saying. You don't have it. But maybe what you have is the ability to acquire or accumulate wealth in another way. Maybe you have the ability to, uh, to invest people's money. Maybe you have the ability to sell real estate. Maybe you have the ability to build houses. Maybe you have the ability to uh, be a physician. Maybe you have other abilities. <laughs> and, and, and the world throws money at you too, especially in this economy. And so what you have a tendency to do is begin to think, I've done pretty well for myself. Look at what I bring to the world that the world celebrates me by giving me their money. The truth is, you do what you do in part because you've applied the gifts you've been given. But had God not given you the gifts you've been given, you wouldn't have that to apply. And so rather than having a woe is me attitude or a wow is me attitude, we need to get back to the, to the real truth that people are just ordinary people. Now, James wrote this 2,000 years ago. And, and, and right now, in this room, as I said, you, you already know who the rich people are. If I ask you, hey, who do you know that's rich? Right now, you already know who that is. And now, if I ask you, who do you know that's poor? You'd be thinking, I might be that person. Okay? I hate to pop your bubble. But the truth is, everybody look to your left. Now everybody look to your right. Now everybody look right here. Are you ready? Don't tell them. You are sitting next to rich folk. I'm talking about rich, deep pockets. I'm talking about they've got it. Now you're thinking, no, they don't. I'm married to him. <laughs> Here's the problem. You're comparing that person next to you with other people in your circle. I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at the world economy. Everybody in here, every, I am looking at some rich folk. Okay? I mean, you have got it. Listen to this. This is Forbes magazine, a reputable money magazine. This is what Forbes magazine says. Even if you're stuck in the bottom 5% of the U.S. income distribution, your standard of living is about equal to that of the top 5% of people who live in India. Did you just hear that? Did you get that? He goes on. He says, even if you're in the bottom 10% of income distribution... Your standard of living is about the same as that of the bottom 10% in other rich countries, which claim that they do more for their poor people, including nations like Sweden and Finland. And when we sweep everything together into some sort of quality of life measure, the American poor are better off than, say, the French or the German poor. And then he goes on and he says, maybe it's true that the U.S. doesn't do enough for the poor in the U.S. That's rather, though, a judgment call based upon your own morals. 
But it's very difficult to see the actual figures that the U.S. doesn't do enough. Here it is. The poor in the U.S. are richer. The poor in the U.S. are richer than 70% of all people who live outside the boundaries of the United States of America. Rich folk. All of y'all. Now, you may be saying, I'm not that rich. I don't even have enough money to tithe. That was a blow, I know. Okay. You may be saying, you, you, I'll take, tell you what I'll do, Pastor Joel. I'll take you home today, and you'll notice on my dashboard, I got a check engine light on. I got two bald tires. Okay. My house is the oldest house on the street. Okay. You got a whole list of why you're not rich, because you're comparing to the wrong standard. You are rich. This dawned on me. We were on the way to church today, and Kendra borrowed 100 bucks from me. She didn't borrow it. She reminded me, what's mine is mine, and what's uh, hers is hers. I mean, what's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. And and so it was for the women's thing, right? And so then I was talking uh, with Bailey, who came in, and, and, and Kendra had seen her over at the salon getting her nails did. Now watch this. Any ladies, is my wife and Bailey the only two up in here getting their nails did? If you're a lady and you've had your fingernails or your toenails did in the last month or two, raise your hand. <laughs> Let me tell you what poor people don't do. They don't pay an Asian woman to fix their toenails and fingernails. Poor people don't do that. Y'all ain't poor people because <laughs> y'all got some good looking toes and fingers. Ladies, if you've had your fingernails did, just hold them up like this. I did. That's right there. Yeah, you did. You know you did. Men, if you're here today above the age of 16 and you have a car, I didn't say a nice one. I didn't say a new one. You have a car. Raise your hand. Rich folk. Did you know if you own a car, you put yourself in the top 5% of the world? Just the fact that you own a car. If you don't believe me, go to Kenya with Keith and Tanya. Go, go, go to Kenya, okay? <laughs> they have a car because you drive everywhere. And when you get there, there's no cars. They walk. You see, everything is upside down. We begin to consider things as if they are even though they are not. We measure according to the wrong standard. Now, I want to be very clear. God is not against wealth and riches. God is not against material possessions. And God is not for wealth and riches. And God is not for material possessions. God is for radically changing lives. And within the the confines of the church family, he is all for us looking at each other through the lens and the reality that everybody is just ordinary people. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, for you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who, who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And he says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low and the Lord also 
exalts. God is saying, listen, our material possessions are his. He's the one that gave us the ability to have them. And if he didn't give somebody else what he's given you, it doesn't matter. Everybody, poor and rich and all in between, we're just ordinary people. I want you to know this morning that I am glad that I'm an American. Not because that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, being born in this great country. The greatest thing that's ever happened to me is being born into another country, an eternal country, God's family. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened. But to get to be a Christian and to live in the greatest country in the world, man, we ought to praise him for that. We, we, you weren't raised in Ukraine or Russia or Iran or Afghanistan. You weren't raised there. You were born and raised here in America where things are great. And, and, and honestly, right now, I think we ought to just take a pause and praise him for being so good to us. Let's praise the Lord for being so good to us. So what do we do with that? James says, when it comes to money, if you have it, don't take it too seriously. It could be taken away. And when it comes to money, if you don't have any, don't take it too seriously. You may have some tomorrow. And when it comes to money and how we look at each other, don't take it too seriously because at the end of the day, we are all just ordinary people, believers who are blood-bought in the sacrifice of Jesus upon a cross. And here's the deal. When God looks at you and when God looks at me, when we are believers, he sees, sees us with infinite value. He doesn't consider what we have or don't have what we've accomplished or haven't accomplished, how educated or uneducated we are, our successes and our failures. He looks at you if you're a believer and he says, you are priceless. You have infinite worth because you're ready, because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price and that price is the blood of God's son upon a cross. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as I look across this group of people, I see value. I see pricelessness. I see people who God smiles upon because he invited you into his family and you accepted his invitation and he adopted you into his forever family. And I'm telling you here today, that's good news. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. God sees you as beautiful and amazing and priceless and maybe you're here today and you don't feel that you don't feel that God values that way it may just be because you've never surrendered to Jesus so you would feel that way 
I want you to know this could be the day that God adopts you, gives you a new birth, a spiritual birth, where he awakens you in your soul, where he invites you into his presence and you step in and he just covers you with grace and mercy and love. If that's you today, all you have to do is say, God, I feel your invitation. I didn't really come here for that, but I feel your invitation. I want that. I want you to save me today. I want to exchange all of my brokenness for the perfection of your son Jesus upon a cross. I'll take your gift of grace. Save me today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me live for you from this day forward. Thank you for revealing to me that I am priceless because of Jesus. For the rest of us, Easter is around the corner where we celebrate the risen Savior. And the world is dying to know that story. They may not know they're dying to know that story, but they're dying to know that story. It's time that we realize everybody out there are just ordinary people in need of a Savior. I challenge you to step up and be who Jesus has saved you to be in the lost world that we live in. We're going to sing in just a second, and this altar will be open. I would invite you, if you want, to come forward to pray. You can. Join me now as we pray. Father, we come to you. I thank you so much, God, for saving us. I thank you so much for choosing to do what you did. You didn't have to do it. We certainly didn't deserve it. You just did it because you love us. I pray, God, that you will... Uh, that you will help us live for you in that truth. And God, I pray that if there's someone here today that needs to receive you, this would be their day of salvation. Now I want you to, to look up here for just a second before we sing. This is Billy Italio. And you get that on. I want, I want him to give a testimony about what God does for people when we give ourselves to the Lord. Hello, everyone. I just want to thank the Lord for what he's done for me. Uh, he gave me the ability to walk again. And to me, that's a blessing. Nobody could ever do it but the Lord. Uh, I, I'd like to just challenge everyone in here just to say one thing that the Lord has done for them in the last week, two weeks, a year, whatever. Because without the Lord, I wouldn't be here. And it's a miracle that he has blessed me so much and, all, and give us this church and all these good people here to thank the Lord for each and every day what we have to give to the Lord. He has given us so much, and I know he takes away some things, but to me, a year ago, I couldn't even walk. I had to have my leg amputated. Uh, I told uh, Preacher Joel that, Christmas time, I would be in a cane. <clears throat> that didn't happen. I had a few setbacks. But I told him as soon as I got to where a cane I could walk, I was going to come down here and tell everybody in here 
how much the Lord has done for me and my family and how much he could do for everyone in here. All you have to do is just believe and pray. That's all it takes. Thank you. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.